You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not ready. It's the various factions under him, and it suits them to have him at the front. You're trying to save for a house deposit, and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money. How on earth are you going to do that if a pint is £7? There's certain key things that we want from India, and there's certain key things that they want from us. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. Well, Caroline, I don't know whether you saw that polling about Rishi Sunak compared to Liz Truss. Quite surprising, actually, that he's faring worse. So this is a poll by JL Partners that says that just 59% of voters who backed the Conservatives under Boris Johnson at the 2019 election are still sticking with the party under Rishi Sunak. So it's down from 74% in August 2022 Mm. and the 63% in the aftermath of the mini-budget. No, it's it's pretty stark. This is where you get a lot of the um, talk around the implosion of the Tory party vote and Conservative Home um, uh, polling also shows just how unpopular the Prime Minister is. I will say also along with David Cameron, um, it's a really significant issue and part of that is because of the threat from the right, actually. Yeah, the thorn in Rishi Sunak's side seems to be the rise of Reform UK, this right-wing anti-immigration party that's been founded with the help of Nigel Farage. I have to say, it's kind of smart politically that he's been on I'm a Celebrity, raising his profile again. Um, and it's interesting when you think of the wider context of the rise of right-wing leaders in Argentina and the Netherlands. And mm. you might say, as a history student, that this is exactly what happens in times of economic downturn and you might ask how much of that is the Conservatives own doing. Yeah, Richard Tice of course is the current leader of the Reform UK party and they have talked about, he has talked about having net zero immigration which I think is an interesting way of phrasing it at a time when net migration is at an all time high and that is seen as a voter concern so kind of uh, looking to that obviously um, Reform UK was formerly the Brexit party under Leader leader Nigel Farage. But yes, I think it's the times of economic uh, stress. Um, Having said that, is all really lost for the Conservative Party or is there still time to pull back voters? Yeah, the respite for Rishi Sunak are the unexpected and this report by JL Partners uh, says that there could be some help from the shy Tories (laughs) I love that term but uh, these are people who don't want to come out as Conservatives until they're in the ballot box but that could 
they say reduce Labour's margin of victory, mm. but it's not going to stop them winning. Well, is this going to help? The Labour leader Keir Starmer causing quite a stir by saying that he admires Margaret Thatcher. This in a column in the Telegraph. Where else, of course? I think this is absolutely fascinating. The kind of um, appeal that this Labour leader wants to have to either Tory voters or simply much more centrist. What do you're smiling I'm button. laughing because my dad's a big telegraph reader. I wonder whether it's gone down well with him. I'll tell you, I've texted him, Caroline. Mm. So he's going to be the barometer, the very scientific barometer here. But I have to say, Thatcher cosplay is not a new trick. I've got photos here, a tweet by Tom Harwood at GB News. Uh, he's got pictures of Gordon Brown uh, walking down Downing Street with Margaret Thatcher uh, Tony Blair with her linking arms with him uh, and Brown heaping praise on Thatcher headline in the Financial Times from 2007. Yeah. Look, I, of course, I mean, I understand that it's anathema to those on the left or particularly the, the hard sort of left admiring Thatcher. But I wonder whether through the mists of time, you know, younger voters, um, perhaps that some of the bitterness around Thatcher, uh, around the trade unions has started to fade and actually she's seen today more as a sort of strong decisive leader someone who changed the trajectory of the UK those sorts of monikers wouldn't be um, bad for uh, the Labour leader to want to aspire to and don't forget there have been so many film representations of Margaret Thatcher painting her in that light humanising her Uh, maybe that's how the young see her instead rather than thinking about the unions but we had the Labour front bencher and former UK politics podcast guest Pat McFadden on the rounds this morning and he clarified what Keir Starmer meant by uh, saying that he admires Margaret Thatcher. Take a listen. I recognise she won three times. Um, I would hope if we were going to win elections, we would make change with the same determination, but not in the same direction. Can I make a point here? Go when on. I was a child, my dad took me to go and see Tony Benn, hard lefty. Uh, and I don't know why, but I'm telling you a lot about my dad today. But my dad, I think, uh, dared me to ask him a question and mm. I asked what he thought about Margaret Thatcher. It would seem pretty obvious, but his response was quite nice. Mm. He said, I admire that in politics uh, you have weathercocks and road signs and she is a road sign like me but she points in the opposite direction okay well that's a pithy answer isn't it um well i wonder also the issue around that in some senses it's also quite a sort of easy thing to do isn't it to to try to compare yourself as mcfadden was pointing out the electoral victory is perhaps the thing that he admires uh, most well look one of the reasons that the remarks were picked up on is because the leader of the opposition is making a major speech today so we want to unpack all of that sama is expected to lay out his party's economic thinking at the resolution foundation's economy 2030 report and that is launching today we're going to speak to the resolution foundation a bit later on in the program but first our senior economics writer phil aldrich is here um, to talk about the context i know you're going down to the res foundation to listen to all of that um, and actually a lot of significant uh, people are going to be there so how big a deal do you think this event is going to be is this going to really reveal what a potential labor government might deliver for britain 
It's important to say this is Resolution Foundation's work rather than obviously Labour Party policy, but no, they are a very influential think tank and you know, you have got Keir Starmer there, they do have close contacts with, with Rachel Reeves. Torsten Bell used to be a speechwriter for Ed Miliband. He's the he he runs Resolution Foundation. Mm. So I mean, they're, they're, you could say there are, there are links there. I, I mean, I don't know if if what they're setting out is going to be a blueprint for Starmer's policies, but you could definitely you know there are things in there which are clearly look like policies that Labour could get behind. You know, they want to raise you know public spending on investment needs to be at three percent. They say if we're going to fix I mean, the, the whole point is the whole message is we need to fix the productivity, the terrible productivity that we've had over the last. 15 years which is you know our productivity is something like four percent better than it than it was then which is just over 15 years dismal um yeah the, the report talks about ending britain's relative decline in place of nostalgia we must mobilize behind achievable versions of the future i mean they're really talking about changing the trajectory of the last 15 years by doing all of those various things you pointed out yeah it echoes um, an event last week so they had a productivity report a productivity agenda i should say launched by the Productivity Institute and I was on a panel at its launch last week um, and you know really prominent economists on the panel but also in the audience so this conversation about productivity very much happening in Westminster but there does seem to be a gap between what the economists are saying and what the politicians would be willing to do uh, whether it's actually palatable to talk about raising taxes enough to spend on public services and that doesn't seem to be the message from Keir Starmer um, Yeah, the you know, Rachel Reeves is and Keir Starmer don't want to present Labour as a party of tax rises uh, before a general election. The resolution report does say higher taxes are going to be needed. They say they call for honest honesty about the trade-offs that are needed to get productivity back up, which does require public investment. You can't wishful thinking. I mean, mm. they're quite scathing about what it, it appears to be the Boris Johnson approach to boosterism, where there's a lot of positive energy in the language, and then nothing's really happening behind the scenes. There's, they want this kind of much more managerial type of approach to fix things in in this and so so investment is critical but also the region so we have this terrible gap between london and all the other cities in the uk more or less so and if you look at other countries they have the the the, the difference in wealth between the capital and the other and the mm. other major cities is much much smaller and if you could lift that productivity in in those regions then you get this productivity boost just as a result there and they do take this kind of slightly optimistic view as well they say there is hope they talk about the fact that we've had such poor productivity even relative to other european countries and particularly the u.s that gives us a lot of opportunity for catch-up which is is putting a positive spin on pessimism right well look i mean they do it is grim reading though when you read the report they talk about slow growth and high inequality proving a toxic mix for low and middle income britain you know that they talk about just how bad things have gotten in the last 15 years what are some of the other solutions then i mean is it all around a wealth tax they also have some pretty harsh words for managers and the business world in the uk that they haven't invested in the right places i want to see a lot of reforms yeah, they're pretty. Uh, I mean, so just the, the, some of the numbers which are striking is that mm. nine nine million. They say nine me- million people have lived in, through a period where there's been no wage growth, no real wage growth. Um, obviously, if you get a job 
promotion you've seen wage growth but had you stayed in the same job for 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 the last 15 years you'd have had no real terms wage growth which is which is which is dreadful and and you know there's a sort of t- over 10,000 pound cost uh uh in on wages and and um you know people today are over 8,000 pounds uh well what they're saying is that pe- we, if we get this catch up, we can be eight, about eight and a half thousand pounds richer. The typical household could be eight and a half thousand pounds richer. In terms of the policies, um, I, they, I, they, they don't. I don't think they're they're advocating specific wealth taxes. Mm. Um, maybe in the it's a three hundred page report. So I yes. haven't read everything, but um, the, I mean, the, certainly what Labour want to do is they don't want to do tax rises. They want to close loopholes, right? And this is you know so uh, the obvious place to go and close loopholes is in is in what is called corporate welfare, right? So it's all these kind of tax breaks and tax reliefs for businesses. So and I think actually it was John McDonnell under the Jeremy Corbyn years he identified something like ninety six examples of corporate welfare. I mean. Most of these would just be, you know, you know, are vital, and you know, there'll be things like investment tax relief. So we've just put full expensing in. So that's a, that's a piece of corporate welfare. In, in, but there may be some other little loopholes that you can close. But um, yeah, there's not. It doesn't feel like uh, the the opposition are up for um, massive tax rises. But they do. But they do have this whole agenda to try and get businesses to step up their investment levels, which is exactly what Jeremy Hunt is trying to do as well. And he did the full expensing. He made full expensing permanent at the autumn statement, um, and that you know that is designed to actually increase. And the and the and the Office of Budget Responsibility did score it as a growth enhancing measure. Mm. And so uh, you know Rachel Reeves says we will continue with that policy. So everybody is after that kind of, you know, you you get growth without any spending by getting the private sector to do it. That's that's the dream scenario, mm. obviously. And so, you know, if you get a lot, if you do this extra public investment, if you can find the money to do that, then hopefully, you know, you get the private sector coming in behind it as well. Um, but or you borrow. And that's the Tories' yeah, well, argument against <clears throat> Labour, that they're going to have to borrow so much money, the economy won't grow. Does that hold up economically? Well, this is this is this is the this is what obviously the Tories seem to want to set as the dividing line as the sort of battleground for the election. But Labour have been quite so. Labour have had their twenty eight billion pound green investment plan, twenty eight billion a year, and they then changed that to an aspiration to get to twenty eight billion pounds over the five years. And I think they've kind of changed it to the twenty eight billion will come out of existing capital spending. I.e., they've just rolled back on this because they do not want to let this idea that they're going to be completely, you know, play fast and loose with the public finances and let debt explode. Um, so. It's will they after they're in if what? they get in? Uh, who knows? But that is certainly they they definitely want to close that that line of attack down. Uh, and also in this report from the Resolution Foundation, they say, look, the green economy is great, but it's not the only thing. It's you can't rely on that for mm. the economic growth of the future. So they're kind of also quite pointed in their criticism. You can't hang everything on the idea that there's going to be, you know, a, a future sort of that it will be golden under a kind of green transition. So they're quite careful on that point as well in the report. Finally, Phil, we were talking about the Thatcher cosplay. Do you think that this is just <laughs> naked political triangulation, or can you? you see any real parallels here between Starmer and Thatcher between Starmer and Thatcher um, economically 
Yeah, I was, I, know, I was reading. I was reading a piece about saying how you know he was he, he was pretty tough as director of public prosecutions. Obviously, Thatcher was pretty tough with the unions. Um, oh. may, maybe he's got this steely backbone where he can be he can be utterly ruthless like she I, I, like she was. I, I, I other than than that, I I don't see any. Uh, I think we have to shelve the word cosplay. Though, that's <laughs> for sure. I have to say, uh, Phil and I both used to work at the Times, and there is a wonderful Times cartoon by Morton Morland. Um, Keir Starmer's face on Margaret Thatcher's body today. It is wonderful. Okay, no, no sooner said than uh, there you go, another version of cosplay. Okay, great stuff. Phil, thank you so much for being with us uh, this morning and we will eagerly await your reporting then uh, from the Resolution Foundation event uh, today. That is Bloomberg's senior economics writer, Phil Aldrich. Well, to unpack that report we were just discussing is the Resolution Foundation's Research Director, Greg Thwaites. Greg, thanks for being with us. Uh, Your event today really lining up to be a big one. You've got Swati Dinger from the Bank of England, our very own Stephanie Flanders from Bloomberg. You've got Jeremy Hunt and uh, Keir Starmer as well. Uh, Are you expecting Starmer to lay out his actual economic plan in proper detail? So this report is about the problems that the UK economy has and also the the strengths that it has uh, and the need for a strategy and describing the strategy uh, that we need to make the best of this country and for the people living in it. Uh, The UK, first of all, we need to understand where we are. When we are, we're, we're a country in stagnation. We've had a very slow growth for 15 years now. Um, you know, the lost wage growth that we've had is worth £10,000 off average wages. And, and we're now a country that's um, a lot poorer relative to our competitor countries or comparator countries. And it's also the most unequal large country in Europe. So we need to understand that that's affecting ordinary people's lives now. That's one of the reasons mm. why the cost of living crisis was so difficult. But the country also has strengths. So we're the world's second largest exporter of services. Um, and we've, those are very broad strengths. So we need to play to our strengths, uh, fix our weaknesses, and we need to do that for the long term with a clear sight of what the aim is. And the aim should be growth that includes everyone. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the phrases that you use are incredibly striking. You know, Britain's relative decline, you know, we, in place of nostalgia, we have to mobilise an achievable version of the future. One of the big recommendations would clearly be on taxation. Um I understand that this would be partly a political decision, but how would you convince people to pay higher taxes in order to help grow the UK economy long term? So the first thing to remember, of course, is that taxes have already gone up a great deal and we've got the highest taxes now uh, for 70 years at least. Um, and what we're not arguing for in the in the report is is still higher taxes. We're arguing principally for better taxes. And, and that means fixing some of the crazy things in our um, inheritance tax system, our, our system of wealth taxes, capital gains. There's no reason why it should be less tax to be a self-employed worker than a salaried worker, for example. So the main thing we want from tax is is better tax, not really higher tax. Now, there are some things that the government needs to spend money on in order to boost growth. Um, but when it does that, when growth has been boosted, there will be more money available for politicians to decide whether um, to spend it on higher uh, benefits or better public services or, or on lower taxes. So the politics doesn't go away. Uh, but if we get the economics right, I think the politics gets easier. 
Let's just stay with the politics for a moment because you've got a big lineup today. You've got uh, Keir Starmer and Jeremy Hunt speaking. I was speaking to someone at an event in Westminster who was saying that unlike in 1997, Labour doesn't have its plans ready to go on day one. You're Mm. advising them on policy in a sense here. Does that hold true for you? So we're advising anyone who wants to listen, anyone who wants to improve things for people on low and middle incomes in the United Kingdom. And that's, I'm pleased to say, we talk to people from the Conservative Party and we talk to people from the Labour Party as well. Now, I I can't tell you about Keir Starmer's plans. Keir Starmer's going to tell you about their plans um, this afternoon. But I certainly hope that it will include some elements of of our strategy. But uh, what we're trying to say here is that you need a strategy, which is a a long-term plan that's clear about the goal and clear about the trade-offs, clear about our starting point as a services superpower, but one that's in relative decline, um, and uh, and address these problems strategically rather than with unserious quick fixes that we've seen recently. So people claiming that short-term tax cuts are going to solve all our problems or that the net zero transition, while necessary, is going to do everything or that just ESG corporate policies are going to lower inequality. We don't think any of those things are going to cut it. So the main thing we're looking for is scale, ambition, staying power, clarity about context, clarity about the goal. You have accused the government of not being serious about its economic strategy, about the um, terrible fate that the UK has suffered, frankly, over the last Mm -hmm. 15 years. Have you seen anything different from the Labour Party? Is the quality of debate about the economic situation in Britain actually getting any better? So I think there have been some really good decisions recently, and I think it's important to call those out. So one good decision was the decision the Chancellor made two weeks ago to lower uh, the taxes on business investment. That's something we've been calling for for a long time. And the aim there is to address the problem that everybody recognises, which is that the UK economy doesn't invest enough. So there are pockets of good decisions. And, okay, but you know, Greg, you cut- you, Greg if, yeah. when, if you are a voter and you're trying to think about yeah. who to bring in at the next election, this kind of one side has done this versus the other side not too bad that is not helpful when making decisions to try to be Mm. very very even-handed in this way are they both doing the right Mm. thing both parties well neither of them are set out manifesto for the next election and when they do uh you can trust that the resolution foundation will give you impartial analysis about what's best in those manifestos for people on low middle incomes of course we're talking about problems that the UK has had over the past 13 years. But the problems that we identify go back longer than that. Um, and then there are also, you know, some of the successes come from both parties. So I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I can't even evaluate the manifestos because they're not here. But what I can say is um, the both parties are, could build their manifestos on the basis of the strategy that we set out in the Economy 2030 inquiry today in our book, Ending Stagnation. And, and both parties uh, will be, you know, their their plans will be subject to our analysis when when they become more public. I was interested that one of the recommendations uh, or one of the topics raised was raising the inflation target to 3% and letting the Bank of England cut rates to negative 1% if necessary. Do you think that uh, BOE independence is at risk? It's something that the Lord's Economic Affairs Committee said in its report recently because the Bank of England seems to have lost control of inflation. I don't think the uh, the independence of the Bank of England is seriously at risk. The, what we suggest in the report is to change the remit 
um, of the, the Bank of England. Um, it, it, it may be the case that if we go back to um, hitting the zero lower bound and having to do quantitative easing again to expand the economy, that might not work so well next time. It may be very costly. And so what you might want to do is to raise the inflation target. So you're starting from a higher starting level of interest rates and you've got more room to cut them. Now, that's not like an immediate short term problem because you've got rates over 5%. So what we're not, we're certainly not suggesting compromising the independence of the Bank of England. We're suggesting looking again at the remit of the bank. I don't think the Bank of England's independence is currently at threat, but of course, it's something that we need to uh, protect and preserve going forward. And that's something that the mm -hmm. report's clear on. Greg, um, you talk, um, you know, about policy, not so much politics, but policy, and but also you lay some of the blame for what's happening uh, in terms of the lack of investment in the UK on poor business leadership, leaders, also management. That's also been a criticism I've heard before that, you know, managers in the UK are not well equipped enough to make the best decisions. I mean, how much do you think business needs to change, needs to respond to the kind of crisis that you're, uh, you know, uh, pointing at? So I think business has to play a huge role because we're in a market economy. It's going to stay that way. So most of the investment that's done, most of the investment that's going to be done, most of the output that's going to be produced, most of the jobs that are going to be created will come from business. So this is all about making things, um, making business work better and making business work better for the whole country. Now, that, of course, means, amongst other things, management. And there's lots of evidence to suggest that there's a huge dispersion in the quality of management. Um, and what we're suggesting in the report is to place more pressure on managers in British firms to invest and take decisions for the long term. Now, what might that look like? First of all, that's reforms to the pension system so that people's um, so that their shareholders who used to be the big pension funds in the UK, once again, uh, place um, British managers are kind of under greater discipline and control because they've got big stakes and they can turn up and make um, well-informed votes at shareholder meetings and, if necessary, get rid of bad management. And then it's also about um, pressure from below, if you like. So we're recommending that large firms in the UK have workers on their corporate mm. boards because it turns out that workers actually have a huge stake, a huge long-term stake in the success of the company. And, and there's evidence to suggest in European countries where workers have been added to boards, that it makes them, firms think uh, longer term and invest more. Greg, earlier in the uh, interview, you mentioned trade-offs. Are politicians being honest about the trade-offs they face? No, absolutely not. So uh, I'll give you a recent example. Um, the Chancellor did something great, which was to cut taxes on business investment. But then he also did probably at least as much damage by allowing public investment to fall. So it's all very well businesses um, being able to invest. But if there are no roads or, or power lines heading to their um, their factories or their or their offices, then um, that's not going to be much use, is it? So uh, e equally, uh, we need to ensure that there's as much public investment as there is private investment in the economy. And we saw one go up in the recent budget and the other one go up, go down. So that's an example of a trade-off that was not well judged or even highlighted. But there are lots of others. So one is our relationship with the European Union, which has become, of course, uh, very different over the past seven years. And one of the things we're calling for in the report is a renegotiation of our relationship with the European Union so that we have a UK protocol, which looks a bit like the Northern Ireland protocol, but extends to the whole UK. We think that's the only way 
to retain high value, large high value manufacturing in the UK. Uh, and we, we think that's achievable. That doesn't involve um, rejoining the European Union, but it mm. is a trade-off because, of course, it will involve a loss of regulatory autonomy. Now, when you look at countries like um, Canada next to the United States or New Zealand next to Australia, what you see is that um, these countries uh, mm. tend to follow the rules of their bigger neighbours. And, and that may well be where the UK economy ends up. But that's a trade-off. Mm. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the programme. Greg Thwaites is the Resolution Foundation's Research Director. It is an absolutely fascinating report. It is a long read. It is 300 pages. But I think perhaps highlights, I mean, this may well be this time, a moment that we look back on to really realise the kind of coalescing around the concerns for economic growth in the UK, how it affects everybody in Britain, and just how much work the UK needs to do in order to change that story and to do better in the future. You're all suffering the cost of living crisis, but how do you change that? I think it's a very difficult thing. As I said last week at the event in Westminster, politicians now need to make productivity sexy. It's been something that has been talked about for 60 years and Britain hasn't Mm. been able to solve it. It's a particular problem now, though. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock. Our audio engineer was Marufa Hussain. I'm Caroline Hepke. I'm Lizzie Burden. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.